we're walking in. And Sandra's saying to me the whole time we're walking in, isn't it a pretty fall morning and feel that breeze and my mind's 3,000 miles away. And we get to the door and I say, man, it's a pretty fall morning. <laughs> oh, I don't try to do that stuff, but it does happen to make a conscious effort not to let your mind wander. All right, we are still in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'd like to finish up verses 6 through 10 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as we still consider this idea of being an example. The next outline in your student guide would be the results of the response, point number three. And then we'll look at the imitation of the Thessalonians and then the fact that they became uh, also an example. But we will open with a word of prayer first. Father, we thank you for your truth. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be convicted by these things this morning and encouraged and strengthened, Lord, to continue and uh, to continue to be an example and to uh, be one in areas that perhaps we've not been one and things that need to change. And we thank you, Lord, for meeting the needs. We pray that you would guide and direct this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. The results of the response. Let's look at verses 6 through 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And ye became followers, or literally imitators, of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were ensembles to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So first of all, in verse 6, we see the Thessalonians becoming imitators of Paul. As I've already mentioned here, this word literally means to, uh, or followers, this word literally means imitators, the Greek word we get our English word imitator from, imitation. And so they took that positive example that they saw in Paul and his friends, and they imitated it. But Paul says you became followers of us and of the Lord. Paul's uh, conduct and the conduct of his friends was uh, very similar and was mirroring that of Christ, the things that Christ dealt with here on earth and the proper attitude that he had through pressure and persecution. And Paul had that same kind of attitude, and so he could rightly say, you became followers of us and of the Lord. So, I mean, instantly you and I are faced with the question of, are we good examples like Paul and his followers were? Uh, you and me are always teaching someone, always we're always teaching someone. There have been times when I thought, well, I'm not really actively teaching anyone right now, uh, only to find out later on that there was someone that I was indirectly teaching. We're always indirectly teaching people. Even in, you realize you and me, we even indirectly teach our enemies. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that they take a good example that we might be showing them and that they, they use it. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But it does mean that we're we're teaching them indirectly good or bad behavior. We're either giving them reason to uh, believe ill of us, or we are condemning their ill view of Christ and perhaps of us. 
But don't fool yourself into thinking that, well, I'm not teaching anyone. You are teaching someone, whether it's an older person. I mean, you, you would think, okay, here I am, you know, I'm 40, you're 41, am I 41? Okay, I'm 41, and, uh, you know, I would think, well, I don't teach a 60-year-old. Well, that's not always true. It depends on the maturity level of the people who are older than you. There are people older than you who actually look up to you as a younger person. That's true. I found that true in, in every church, every setting I've ever been in. Uh, if we're older, hopefully the younger people are the ones who can look up to us. And, uh, but really, we need to be the example that no matter what age group observes us, we can be a good example for them, even if it's just a matter of being an encouragement. You know, I can learn from young people. I've been rebuked by younger people. And uh, I am encouraged by younger people who are taking a stand. I can think of some very shining examples of people in my last church who were younger than myself who encouraged me by their example. And so they were indirectly teaching me, though that really wasn't their goal. That's exactly what they were doing. So please, don't, don't ever forget, no matter what happens, you are teaching someone. And so what are you teaching them? I'm going to ask some questions here that are really pointed, and they're pointed at me more than really anybody. So uh, join in on the conviction if you like. But if a believer followed you and me last week, what would they have learned? Just think about that, okay? If a believer had followed Chris around Pape machinery and observed how he interacted with his coworkers and how we dealt with technical problems or how he dealt with administrative issues or how he dealt with conflict with another coworker, what would that person have, have learned if someone had followed uh, Sandra around the house? and had followed her around town as she did her shopping, what would they have learned about time management or attitude? I mean, only her and God can really answer that question. What would someone have learned if they followed uh, perhaps Stephanie around the house and watched her interact with her kids? And really only Stephanie can answer that question between her and God. What would someone have learned last week as they observed you and I? Uh, it can be a convicting thought as you think about your failures. Right? If you're honest with yourself, you had some failures last week. And you had some successes. And so think about that and think about, Lord, you know, what could I, would you help me this week with what I didn't do so well in last week? I had an attitude issue last week and I really need you to adjust that for me and cleanse that. So that if someone were with me, they would learn Christ-like behavior. And don't forget, no matter who is or isn't with you, Jesus sees everything, right? And so Paul could rightly say, though he wasn't flawless, he could say, you became an imitator of me. And in his mind, that was a good thing. You know, all too often I hear Christians say, well, I don't really want anyone to follow my example. Well, that shouldn't be the case. Now, there may be something that you are immediately struggling with. You know, and it takes time to iron that stuff out. And it takes time to conquer uh, an immediate bad attitude. Okay, well, maybe... Immediately speaking, there are some things you don't want people to imitate as you work through your struggle. But relatively speaking, generally speaking, that should never be the case. We should never say, well, I don't want anyone to follow my example. Maybe you don't want someone to make those mistakes you've made in the past. That's legitimate. But there should always be a Christ-like presence that says, you know, in my situation, in my case, someone can learn something good as I go through life with my particular circumstance. doesn't mean you want your circumstance to be on everybody, 
right? But it does mean that you should be able to teach them righteous behavior. No matter what you're going through, no matter what maturity level you and I are at, we can all be a positive uh, example so that people can imitate us and we not worry about that imitation. As I thought about this, I considered the reality that the Thessalonians were not too proud to imitate Paul and his followers. There was a genuine humility there as, uh, as they did that. And that takes, uh, the, that takes um, putting off self and letting Christ teach you through other people. No matter how old we get, we have to have a teachable spirit and be willing to imitate. There is no such thing as a self-made uh, Christian, a self-made individual. There is no such thing. We have all learned through people and will continue to learn through people. That's one way God keeps you and me humble. As he teaches me through folks. Teaches me through carnal folks, even. Teaches me through younger. Teaches me through older. There isn't any way that I can say, well, I am where I'm at today, wherever that is, um, because I got there myself. No, it's because God has used people to teach me. And it is an arrogant individual who would say, well, it's just me and my Bible, and that's how I learned. Well, yes, your scriptures, the scriptures are a primary part of your Christian growth. That is absolutely true. But please don't be foolish enough, foolish enough to ever think that you got absolutely everything you ever needed by just reading the Bible yourself. Because otherwise, there would be no need in Ephesians 4 of pastors and teachers and evangelists. And Paul, I believe, lists their prophets, workers of the ministry, right? So we can all come to the place of maturity in Christ. It takes people teaching us, even from the scriptures. We, they can see things we can't see. And God, I believe, does that on purpose just to keep us humble. I have only known a handful of folks in my life who believed that they were never really taught from anyone, that they simply learned everything they needed to know just between them and the Bible. And no input from anyone was ever necessary. And every one of those people I can think of was immature, self-deceived, and carnal. And everyone but them could see it. So please, I don't think there's anyone here like that. And, uh, but just whether there is or not, uh, we, we teach and we preach the principles without respect of persons. And so I encourage all of us to just keep an open mind and remember that God wants us to be imitators of good people, people who are living for him. Now, this likely means that they were imitating Paul, Paul's attitude as Paul went under or went through pressure. If we consider the full context of Thessalonians and the context of the verses we're reading, uh, Paul's saying, you know, you became followers in us, of us and of the Lord and the context of that was through the persecutions he endured at Philippi, the persecutions he endured at Thessalonica, the persecutions he endured other places. Uh, they became, as they observed Paul under pressure, as they observed him under the attack of the Jews and, and of the Gentiles, as the Jews would come in and stir up the people, as we see in Thessalonica and in other places, Paul says, you know, you observed me in that setting and you became imitators of me. And so they observed Paul and they became imitators of him, not just, in a, uh, not just in a setting of peace and prosperity and ease, but in a setting of pressure. So when the tea bag is put in the hot water, what comes out? When you and I are put into the hot water, what comes out? Well, why do I have to go through this again today? Or why does this pop up again in my life? Or why am I going through this? Well, because... 
when we're put in hot water, that's how God shows us what's in the tea bag. Otherwise, we never really know. You know, you can sit there and you can smell the Tabana and mm, that's herbal mint. You know, that's, that smells really good. But you're not really going to know what it tastes like until you put it in the hot water and you let it flow out. Then you're going to taste the, the flavor, the boldness or the spice or the, the good or the bad. Whatever the case may be. It's the same with us. That's when we really know what is happening or not happening in our hearts. How, if we're really growing or not growing is when the hot water is allowed to be in our lives. Okay. So that is vitally important. I can't answer all the re- questions of why trials come into your life, but I know for a fact one very simple answer is that there's no way we're going to grow without them. There's no way we're going to really know well, where we're at without them. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn thy statutes. Right? Psalm 119, I believe it's 71 or 72. And so it's good that I might learn thy statutes. And uh, hot water is what allows us to fall on our face and let God pick us back up again. It's what allows us to see, hey, perhaps I have made improvement in this area through the work of the Spirit. Praise God. That's good. Let's let him keep changing other things. So it, hot water can even be an encouraging thing. And as, as Paul went through hot water and the good things of Christ came out of him, the Thessalonians saw that. They considered the grace of God that made it possible. And they became imitators of that as well. So hot water brings out God's grace. Right? It allows people to see God's grace. How are they really going to see God's grace if it's not for those pressures that enable you and me to have a proper response under difficult circumstances? But the secret to having a good attitude under pressure is to allow God's spirit to fill us. And that's why I put these verses up here. As we consider the reality of God's spirit producing in you and me love and joy. Let's, let's think about these things in the context, context of pressure and uh, persecution and trouble. Joy, peace, long-suffering, bearing with someone or a problem over a long period of time without complaint or murmuring or a bad attitude. Dealing long with suffering, long patience. Uh, The biblical word, uh, Greek word for patience, literally has the idea of carrying a load for a long period of time without complaint, bearing up under something heavy. Gentleness, goodness, and faith. Meekness, power under control, and temperance, which is self-control. Against such there is no law. And so this is how, allowing the Spirit of God to fill us, is how we're going to become uh, imitators of people who are under pressure and how we're going to be examples for others under pressure. So they became imitators. Something that you and me need to do. Be careful, obviously, who you imitate. Uh, We all have that childlike tendency to mimic people around us and unfortunately our flesh is drawn towards people who are just like we are so be careful of that if you find yourself being drawn toward a prideful preacher and you yourself are prideful you might want to find yourself a humble preacher to be drawn toward and make that choice not to listen to that person anymore or read his books anymore okay there are certain arrogant individuals i'm not going to read because they're sarcastic and arrogant like i tend to be and it's not good for me to read them I'm just being transparent with you. You know, maybe your maybe your issue is timidity. You're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Well, you don't need to read about excuses for not sharing the gospel or standing for Jesus. You need to read about being bold. Uh, you know, you need to read about some uh, follow some folks who are going to challenge you in that particular area. So please be careful who you imitate. 
So they became examples. Not only did they imitate what Paul was doing, which is a great thing, but if it stops there, then it really doesn't benefit the next person, right? Uh, as we see there in Second, I believe it's Second Timothy, where Paul talks about, you know, I trained you, and then you trained others, and then you want to go off and train others, uh, uh, let them train other people. Okay, so what good does it do for me to be an imitator if I'm not going to take that imitation and go out and be an example to other people? And so, uh, you know, it's nice to have a good example, but it's better to be one. It's more profitable to be one. And don't forget, you can always be a good example whether or not you have one. The Thessalonians had one, and praise God for that. But don't forget that you and I have that undying example in Christ and in the scriptures. And whether or not we have a good example around us, at the end of the day, it doesn't leave us with an excuse for not being a good example. Okay. He says, so that ye were in simples, or examples, to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. They didn't stay babies. They did not remain spiritual babies. And that is oftentimes what happens. Now, whether any of us want to admit it or not, we live in a very touchy-feely, sensitive society. And that, that error, okay, now here's where I want us to be really honest with ourselves. That mindset, you think about how touchy-feely society is, right? Don't, oh, don't judge me. Don't say mean things about me and don't talk about me. Don't tell me how to do this and don't tell me how to do that and let me raise my kids the way I want and let me say what I want, let me wear what I want, let me do what I want. That attitude, whether we want to admit it or not, please have an open mind with this, has crept into the church and has to some degree affected you and me. Okay? And we, are te we tend to, and I'm not saying we have to be this way or remain this way, but it is much more easy for you and I to become offended at people who try to help us because we have allowed that don't judge me attitude that we're bombarded with consistently through social media and the workplace to affect our thinking. Our flesh is drawn toward that. We want to be that way too because we want to do what we want to do just like everybody else does, right? So if we're not careful, if we don't let God's spirit really work in us and have control of us, we can develop that, oh, you know, she said this to me or he said this to me and how dare they do that or judge me. You know, that can happen. That can happen to you and me. Okay? We're not immune to anything because we have a label that says fundamental Baptist. Okay? At all. We are affected by these things because you're looking at the same social media and you're looking at the same things as you drive down the highway and you're hearing the same propaganda as anybody else. Maybe you're not steeped in it as much, but you're hearing it. And your flesh is drawn toward it. The Spirit of God is not, but your flesh is. And so please... Uh, as we progress in this, okay, as we continue in this, as society gets worse, believers seem to me, this is just my opinion, I could be totally wrong, they seem to be very baby-like, people that are saved. It seems oftentimes in churches, folks I'm, I'm running into are just, they're very childish. And you try to help them and they immediately get offended about something. They're babies. Don't judge me, leave me alone. Maybe they're genuinely saved, but they're babies. That shouldn't be the case. Take in the word of God. Let it do its work. Let well-meaning folks do, their, do God's work as they minister to you. And even unwell-meaning folks, honestly. Because we can learn from everybody. And let God change us. The Thessalonians didn't stay babies. You say, well, how do you know that? Because they were being examples. A baby isn't concerned about being an example. A baby is concerned about his or herself. 
I'm hungry. I don't want to take my toy. I want this. I want that. Right? That's what babies do. Grown-ups are like, you know, that's not good for that person. No, I want it, but I'm just going to forget it for now. An adult is, you know, uh, they need this. I need to put my needs on hold because I've got to go over here and help this person. That's what an adult does. And that's what an adult Christian does. And that's what these people were doing. They were thinking of others. They weren't staying babies. They made the word of God their own. He says, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. In context, I believe what Paul is talking about primarily here is uh, obviously the gospel. Because if you are sounding forth the word of God in a lost world, hopefully that is primarily the thing you are sounding forth. Uh, Jesus died for you and sin is real and sin is wicked and God hates it and you're going to hell. If you continue in it, please turn to the Son of God who loves you. That was probably their primary message. But regardless, the point is, the scriptures that Paul gave them and shared with them, uh, they took, they made it their own, and they sounded them out. Not only to Achaia, the regions of Crete, or the regions of Greece in the south, but also in Macedonia, the regions to the north, Paul says. You sounded them out in both places. Uh, and in every place, your faith to God word is spread abroad. To the point where we don't have to say anything. There's already, you've already preached. Uh, you've already spread the word. And so they made the word of God their own. Something that you and I must do. But something that, you, something that honestly, it takes time. And it takes dedication. And it takes priority. And there is something wrong when I know more about the sports stats or the local news or the national news or more about uh, perhaps my favorite hobby or whatever the case may be than I do about the scriptures. It shouldn't be that I can talk to you with ease about the day's events but find it very awkward to talk to you about the Bible. That should not be the case. And oftentimes it is. And when that happens... Okay, and I'm not here to, we're not, I'm not saying you go around and you're inwardly judging everybody you run into, every Christian you run into about how they do or don't talk about the scriptures, but just take note. Oftentimes when someone is having a hard time talking about the Bible or applying principles from it, or it's embarrassing or it's awkward to bring up the scriptures, it may be because that's not really where they are. That's not where they're spending their time. And uh, sometimes when we're not versed in something, we're intimidated by it. Okay? I'm not going to come up and start a sports conversation with you. I know nothing about sports. I hate sports. Okay? I don't care if, they des- if it, it's gone from the planet. And I'm not trying to offend anybody because I know everybody in here probably likes them to some degree. My point is, I'm not going to strike up a conversation with you about that. I'm intimidated by it. I don't know anything about it. You know? I, I, I tried it once at a VBS and was laughed off the field. You know, it's, it's hilarious. I'm not going to, I'm intimidated by that, but I don't mind talking to you about the scriptures. Okay? And that should be the case with, with all of us. Don't be in, uh, be in the Bible, be versed in it. Make it your own. It won't be awkward to talk about. It won't be intimidating to share with people. And uh, it does show where our heart's at. It does show where our heart's at. Uh, 
And honestly, I mean, in the last uh, few months or so, I've noticed a shift even in my own thinking about, you know, I need to get more focused back on the Bible. Uh, I've, see, I've noticed a little coldness in my heart towards some things. And some things that used to roll off my lips with ease are becoming awkward. That's not a good sign. That's a red flag. So I need to change some things and some focuses, apparently, that I have. And so uh, if that's you, and I encourage you to do the same thing, get back in the Word. Make it your own, like the Thessalonians did. Uh, They sounded it out. Now, as they made the Word of God their own, they were known for speaking the Word, obviously. They were sharing the gospel. We talked about this. Probably a large part of that sharing was, hey, Jesus is coming back. Remember, that's uh, a, a huge theme in the book of Thessalonians. They were undergoing pressure. They were looking for his return. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, verse 10 would seem to indicate with the, uh, the eager expectation that they had for Jesus' return. I seriously doubt they were not sharing that. Okay. And so as we share the gospel, let's not forget to include in there, hey, Christ is coming back. You know, the, the gospel, if we're not careful, we can present the reality of heaven and hell and we can water it down. It is possible to do that. Don't forget to let folks know, you know, this is serious. Christ is coming back. And what they do with that information is totally up to them. Most of them are going to mock and laugh and isn't that cute and, and name some stupid movie that mocks the return of Christ or whatever. They all have their, their out. Okay, or they're going to tell you, well, I don't believe in that and that God is in everything or whatever the case may be. That's not your problem. Your problem is to present the reality. Jesus is coming back as conquering king. And he's going to leave no survivors, okay, in a good sense. Okay? And uh, I seriously doubt the Thessalonians were not sharing that. And that's something that we need to share as well. Not in a hit-them-over-the-head-with-the-Bible-punk attitude. A lot of people will do that. Um, you know, I've heard of people sharing the gospel and telling, telling the folks, hey, Christ is coming back, and then when they reject it, saying, well, I guess you're just going to go to hell and walk away. Oh, no, that's so carnal so wicked so stupid so contrary to the heart of god so there's a good and a bad way to do this but it needs to be part of our message for sure you know what i like about the thessalonians and them being an example i was encouraged about this i don't like wishy-washy people i don't like to wonder where people stand okay either you if you know if you don't believe in something just tell me that's fine you know if you do believe in something then tell me but don't flip-flop between the two okay um, if you don't believe, you know, I believe women should be dressed modestly. Some people are like, well, I don't care if, you know, my wife's got tight, tight pants on and a low cut shirt. Doesn't matter to me. Okay. That's, that's, I believe that's all under God's grace. Okay. Well, at least you told me that. And I didn't have to sit around and wonder when I saw her in one thing and you were preaching another. Okay. The Thessalonians, they say, it says here, you're, uh, but also in every place, your faith to God word is spread abroad. So we need not to speak anything. Paul didn't have to go in and re-clarify what the Thessalonians believe. And I appreciate that about their example. And I would wish that for all of us. Because we all have a desire and an innate tendency to want to please everybody. To want to please everybody. Okay? Um, I make no apology. I'm just picking some things out of them. You know, I'm uh, music. I believe Christian music should be very conservative it should uh, avoid um, even conservative writers who are trying to take it in a bad direction. Sovereign grace. I'm totally against the sovereign grace movement. 
Okay? It's in our hymnal, and we, if Sandra and I pick hymns, we don't pick Sovereign Grace songs, because if you look at their mission statement, they're all about combining the tradition with the new man. Let's take it in a reformed theology, uh, do-as-you-like direction. You can go read their website yourself. So I'm not going to pick a Sovereign Grace song out of her hymnal. I'm totally against them. I think they're wicked. Okay. You might disagree with that, but at least you don't have to wonder. I wonder what he thinks about Christian music. Hopefully, that's not what you're wondering about. So we just, we need to not be hypocrites. Let's let people know in a loving, gracious way where we stand on things. Do you think Jesus ever left anybody hanging about what he believed concerning the righteousness of God, the sanctification of the saint, the need to live the Christian life? Do you think anyone followed around the Lord? I wonder if he thinks being a drunk is okay. Sure, I'm not sure. I haven't quite figured that one out yet about the Lord. I wonder what he thinks about divorce and remarriage. I haven't quite figured that one out yet about the Lord or loyalty to a spouse or eternal security. I'm not quite sure. I don't think people were wondering what Jesus believed. And uh, we, as little, little Christs, right, we are, that's what Christian means. Uh, it was a mocking term given to the Christians in Acts chapter 13, the church of Antioch. I don't think people are doing that with us or with Christ. They shouldn't be doing it with us as well so don't be a mealy mouth Christian um, you know and that's uncomfortable sometimes it is very uncomfortable there are people I graduated from from Bible college there's a young man right now I can think of his name he went and he's doing a he went to be part of a church in Seattle gospel light church or a city light church in Seattle a, a liberal church just what Seattle needs wonderful right received the same education was under the same godly teaching knew the truth just like I did chucked it all the Bible is not really preserved. The only thing that's preserved in the Bible is the gospel, he would tell you. Uh, music is shallow, worldly. Do I hate him? Absolutely not. He's my brother in Christ. I love him. Is he in sin? Absolutely. Are we going to sit down and have a nice warm meal over together and talk about the old days? No. If we have a meal together, it's only going to be to encourage him to stop compromising, repent, and turn back to the way of truth. You know, it is uncomfortable. I understand that. But folks, if we don't let people know where we are and be good examples, then something's going to give, and it's not going to be something good. I was encouraged by that as I read these folks, read about these folks this week, and rebuked as well. Uh, you know, they made Paul's ministry easier, not harder. He says, we need not to speak anything. Don't be a damage control Christian. The kind where, you know, in your wake, people come along and they pick up the pieces. You know, as you live for Jesus, tearing your way through life and society, and they're coming along behind you, yeah, I'm sorry, you know, sorry you said it that way, or I'm sorry you're confused about that bad example, or don't be a damage control Christian. Uh, be the kind of individual, you know, if the pastor or a godly individual had to come to your workplace, you know, home, they wouldn't have to pick up the pieces. They could simply slide right in and compliment what you've already been doing. That's the kind of person I need to be. That's the kind of person you need to be as well. They made Paul's ministry easier, not harder. They demonstrated God's grace under pressure. For they themselves, I think Paul's talking about the testimony of people who had been affected by the Thessalonians, as well as the general actions of the Thessalonians themselves. I believe that's what he's referring to. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. In other words, your actions and the testimonies of the people you have affected uh, bear witness to the reality of our legitimate ministry toward you and how it had a righteous godly effect on you uh, what manner of entering and we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God 
And the focus of those two prepositions is exactly the way it sounds in the English. It's nothing deep. It's the idea of separation from one thing and being focused into the face of another. And, uh, you know, if you and I can't be a good example or a Christian can't be a good example and there's constant damage control having to take place, it may be they've never turned from something to something. (laughs) That is possible. Uh, Just on a side note, this is one of my favorite salvation verses as I share with people the gospel because it really shows the reality that if you're going to get saved, I'm sorry, but you are just going to have to turn from something to something. There's not just going to be this passive, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, and everything will be right. You know, it's, that's just not the way it works. Because you're already serving something. You're serving yourself, you're serving your pride, your wickedness, pleasure, the world. You don't realize it, but you're serving the devil. And if you're going to get saved, you're going to have to step down off the throne of that heart, and you're going to have to let Jesus take the reins. And that's exactly what the Thessalonian believers did. So please don't ever fall for the lying philosophy of repentance is not important. It has no theological basis. You say, well, I've never heard that. Well, there are writers out there who have written theological dissertations on the unimportance of repentance. Okay, no, it is important. You're not saved by changing your works, but you are saved by changing your master. And that's exactly what Paul talks about right here. So you turn from something to something. And uh, they were examples because that had happened in their lives, and it showed in their lives. And so that's what needs to show in my life as well. There are just, you know, certain kinds of music I just don't listen to anymore. I can't because I got saved from something to something. There are certain attitudes that even though I still display here and there, they're wrong, and I can't serve them. I can't justify them. I have to turn from them to something, to God. And that's what they, that's what they did. Their salvation was real, and it showed. And then they were looking up, and they were waiting for Jesus. And that gave them the strength to be good examples, and the humility to be imitators, and to take that imitation and and share it with others. Uh, Paul says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I love this word, to wait. It's the combination of two Greek words, a preposition meaning up, And another word meaning to dwell. And it's the idea of, if you look it up, if you study it out, it's it's used in the very context of waiting someone, expecting someone's arrival. Um, uh, Like even it's used in the context of a good time, awaiting someone when they go there. Uh, But if you look at these two two words and you think about it, you can come up with the, the thought or the mental picture of living with an upward focus. That's literally the idea preposition up and living living with an upward focus you know and these folks they were living with an upward focus as they waited for jesus to return as they were being examples under pressure they have their weak moments yeah we're going to read about some of those especially as we get into second thessalonians they had their weak moments just like you and me they waffled they weren't sure what to do and they let some things slip and they decide well we're just going to go wait on a mountaintop and quit working and just be idle jesus is coming back they made some mistakes but you know they were living with an upward focus and in that they found the strength to be a good example, and to carry on for the Lord. So, let's be a good example. You say, well, I haven't done a good job at it this week. Well, that's between you and the Lord. Uh, If that has been the case, let him correct it this week. Let him change some things. I know there's some things he wants to change in me, and I'm going to let him do that by his grace. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this uh, encouragement of being an example. 
We thank you that no matter what happens, who fails us, we have the ultimate example in Jesus Christ, an undying, unfailing, uncompromising example that we can go to and look at and find joy and strength and peace there. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name.